ladies and gentlemen, it is Saturday, November 7th, and this is the Sledgehammers in the Office podcast, where we talk about business, the housing industry, and entertainment in general. My name is Thaddeus Claus, and I've been working on houses for the last five years in different capacities, and today I am super excited to be here with one of the co-owners of Elevation Window and Door, Mr. Paul Noble. Welcome to the show. Hi, Thaddeus. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, this is the second time we're running through the intro, just <laughs> yeah. like last time, but uh, did want to kind of do the disclaimer again as far as we, for the people who know that I work for a window and door company and now the people who are going to see that, hey, here's one of the owners. Um, this is not like a Home Depot window style. We've got a nice vinyl window to throw in your bathroom. This is whole house window packages for seven and eight figure homes in Scottsdale, uh, Cave Creek, Paradise Valley, parts of California and Nevada as well. So it's, um, if you do want windows and doors, yes, we can help you out, but this is not a, Hey, can you get me a friends and family discount? This is a business that deals with extremely large houses in the luxury neighborhoods. So I just wanted to put that out there. So <laughs> your phone doesn't get blown up that my phone doesn't get the, hey, friends and family, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I have no pull. Oh, yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> That's for Paul French to decide, right? <laughs> Paul French is uh, Noble's other half in the uh, relationship that is Elevation. So That's it's right. just two Pauls. We've got Paul Noble and then uh, Paul French will be, I'm going to try and get him on here at a later date. He seems hesitant to come on, but... <laughs> Whatever. We'll get them. We'll get them. Yep. So I want. I did want to start with kind of your history of how you got here, just because it's. I know I've heard part of your story with kind of how you got started getting into kind of the construction industry. Uh, so I'd love to hear about that kind of steps you guys took, and then I want to get into kind of more of the specifics with the beginning of your business, where you guys were just before you started Elevation and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, well. After high school, uh, I was actually uh, hoping to pursue a career in the recording industry. So doing exactly this, setting up mics and mixers and working in the studio. Um, music's my passion. It's really something I enjoy. Um, I really had no construction experience in high school. And so when I got out of high school, I got a job at Home Depot. Um, I was with my, at the time she was my fiance and now my wife, um, and I needed to grow up and get a real job. And so I got a job at Home Depot and eventually worked in the window department. So when I moved to the window department, I just fell in love with it almost immediately and just, just drank it up and uh, got promoted pretty quickly at Home Depot. Within four years, I became a district trainer. So I elevated myself out of a store and was working at the district training facility in downtown Phoenix and was training new hires on what windows and doors were. And I was about your age, Thaddeus, so here we are. We were these young kids, like you feel now, and I say, I say this to you from time to time, you know, you people judge you by your age before they know what you really know. And uh, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing, but it happens, and it happened to me. I bring these guys in, they'd sit down and look at me like, who's this young guy? He's not gonna teach me anything, so forces us type of personalities to be even more studious and study harder and work harder because we're trying to show that we really do know what we're talking about. So I'd say that that only uh, increased the flame for me and it burned brighter and brighter. Uh, so I was poached by a vendor 
um, from Home Depot is a company that was bringing in product from La Paz, Bolivia in South America. And that was my entry into North Scottsdale and kind of the high-end world of windows and doors. Um, I was with them for about a year. And then that company actually went through some financial hardships. And so I left and I took a job at a company called R&K, building products out in uh, Mesa. And I worked there for one year. And that was when I kind of got exhausted with the industry. I was done. I quit, got out of the window business and I went to work for my father-in-law and I ran his temp labor staffing um, company. Oh, really? Yeah. Did that for about nine months. Uh, it was bleeding, a lot of red. Um, so he brought me in to kind of clean it up, and his intent was to resell it, to sell it. And so we got it profitable uh, in a quick amount of time. I was expecting to have a longer stay there, but um, one weekend he went out and sold the business, and that Monday morning he came and he said, hey, sold the business, just so you know. What does that mean for me? Well, if the new uh, owner wants to hire you, he'll hire you. If not, then, you know, kick rocks, have a nice day, you know, kind of deal. So I'm like, whoa, (laughs) my father-in-law, he's a, God bless him. I love the man. But, uh, you know, he, he, he taught me a lot at that moment of, of, you know, what do they say? Uh, One in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? So I just was counting on a kind of a longer, longer life there. Right. Yep. But. So then I, uh, I was actually odd how the world works at that exact moment. Um, a headhunter reached out, found me through monster.com, um, and asked me if I'd be willing to entertain a position down in Tucson, Arizona. I thought, no, um, but I was desperate. So uprooted my family and mate from Mesa, and we moved down to Oro Valley, and I worked for a company called Architectural Traditions, okay. um, which filed bankruptcy in 14, is now Arcadia Custom. Okay. Yep. And so I worked down there. I was the uh, manager of the CAD department and the estimating department. So I oversaw those two uh, departments and I was there for just about a year. And my wife and I, we decided that our family, a lot of our family lives up here in the Valley anyway, back up in Phoenix. So being down in Tucson wasn't, it just didn't make a lot of sense. Different, different uh, uh, style of living, I guess, down there too. So we ended up moving back up to Phoenix and that's when I took a job with a company called Sienna Custom Window and Door, where I was there for 11 years. I met Paul French, Karen Cahill, Dave Holy, Daniel Wing, all of which now work with Elevation, but that's where they all came from. So we all worked with each other during my 11-year tenure there, and um, I started at Sienna doing estimating and project managing and CADs, and then I got moved into the sales position because the salesperson that was there previously was a guy by the name of Scott Gates. He left, and when he left, that position opened, so I took over the sales spot. I did not want to be a sales guy. I hate sales. I truthfully hate salespeople. I don't like them. They're always trying to talk you into something, and I hated feeling like that was something I was doing. However, uh, I also realized that I have a tendency to be able to to, to <laughs> spoonful of sugar, put a spoonful of sugar in some really bitter tasting something. Right? I would say bring enthusiasm there we is go. from what I've seen with you. There's <laughs> there's some people where they bring a spoonful of sugar just to make whatever it is go down, but I think you bring enthusiasm to the details. So oh, that's appreciated. Thank you. Uh, it it was something that I just I stopped worrying about selling something and more focused on just building relationships. Just talk to people, listen, and, and then 
my mind kind of changed away from, I don't have to sell something. You just got to listen to people and talk to them. They'll buy something if they want to. If they don't want to buy it, then they're not going to buy it. So what am I, I'm going to talk somebody into spending a lot of money on a window that eventually they regret. I didn't want to be part of a buyer's remorse kind of thing. So anyway, um, while I was at CN, I learned a lot about that because uh, you deal with an affluent customer and that was the clientele we cater to at Sienna Custom. Um, and it prepared me for when we started Elevation on how to deal with some very large contract um, values. I did not see commas move so quickly when I was at Home <laughs> Depot uh, and a sell. You sell a window package at Home Depot. It's, you know, yeah, you're excited that you sold $3,000, $4,000 in windows. And then I get to a place like Siena and I was watching the owner sell a job that was over a million dollars and it just blew me away. And like, that's a million dollars on windows and doors alone. That's alone. not that's the it. rest of the project. That's it. Right. And it blew me away. And I thought this is absurd. I didn't understand it. I don't come from a world of money like that when I grew up. Um, grew up very modestly and my dad's a piano teacher and my mom stays at home and raised six kids and so we we money was not a thing that we always had so right. watching somebody spend <laughs> that much money on windows and doors yeah was kind of against my roots because i'm like you're spending so much money on a product you really need to spend that so i had to get out of my own head and look at the design aesthetic because that was something i overlooked because i'm a practical guy right. i buy something out of practicality not because it looks cool so if you ever looked at my house or the things I own, the things I buy. Nothing that I buy came without a coupon. Nothing that I buy didn't come without 30, 40, 50 days of me researching, trying to find some way to get it for cheaper. And my wife could laugh and tell you that I'm always upset when I find out later that I could have got something for less. Right. So yeah. here I am, I'm selling windows and doors for a lot of money and um, I still argue with myself from time to time and I'm in the process of, this is a lot of freaking money. However, what overcomes that, I guess, is just people really want nice things. And so if we have access to really nice things like we do at Elevation, then we can, we can offer them. So that's the way I look at it. So um, that's kind of my, my whole process. So that started from 97 to today. So I guess that's, what, 24 years in this industry um, from a box store, Home Depot to uh, uh, domestic or importing, uh, you know, uh, product out of South America domestically and trying to sell that to working at a lumber yard to working at a factory in a factory capacity uh, to now you know running a, a company so kind of trying to get my guests my toes in all the water and um, so here yeah. we are. Did it surprise you how much you kind of did enjoy it when you first jumped into it obviously you said that there's a point where you were like I don't want to deal with windows and doors anymore but when you first started it's was it something that you were kind of surprised that like hey I actually enjoy this windows and door thing because it's not something that typically are like, hey, kids, for career day, we're going to talk about window and door salesmen. It's yeah. Like yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's a sickness um, for sure. I think anybody that's in industries like this, there's something wrong with us. We have some level of OCD and you become obsessed with learning about these products. And so there's so much to a window and door we look through them and a lot of people just underappreciate how much truly goes into a window and door and Thaddeus you know better than anyone you've taken them apart and put them back together <laughs> there is a lot that goes into a window and door so yeah. the engineering fascinated me 
and I was blown away by how many different methods, um, how many different styles and profiles, and it just endless. So it was exciting, and to just try to get into it and understand it and, and be a steward of that was was exciting for me. So I felt the passion leaving music and moving towards the industry of windows and doors because I was making money. Um, not a lot, but yep. still making money and truthfully more than a musician. So it's time right. to hang up the guitar and go make a, go get a real job. And uh, I don't regret it. Uh, I miss music. I still play it from time to time, but I definitely switched my passion to happen. Yeah. It was interesting as you were talking about that, when I first started with the general contractor I used to work for before, it was, I didn't, I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. And for me, it was, I think kind of, it became this, I, I don't know. It's like, for me, it's like, I fell in love with the work. Like it, it was being able to show up and then it's being able to put kind of like effort into something and then see like the production at the backside of it to where it's mm -hmm. like, and I know as far as like kind of it's with the building side, the demo side, it's like it does have a glamour and it's like you can tell little kids and they're gonna be like, oh, you get to break things. And like, it's like, yeah, that, that's what I get to do. But <laughs> at the same time, it was kind of like, to me, I feel like it, not everyone has it, which is sad to me, but appreciating the details. Mm -hmm. And then if you can find fulfillment in what you're doing, that it's, if it's windows and doors, it's like someone could look at it and be like, all right, well, that's not the structure of the house. and which if someone wants to take a look at the elevation window and door Instagram page, you might have a better appreciation. But for the, most people, it's like, it's just, it's just the glass that I look through to the outside. But right. it's like, as like you said, it's once you get into, no, we're going to start talking about the temperature differences that we can get by throwing a second pane on there by using different coatings. Like it's being able to kind of, you always say we're window nerds. Yeah. Like, and I think that if someone takes that approach in, any job that they're in that it's if if you're a carpenter it's be a carpenter nerd if right. you're a cad guy be a cad guy nerd it's like right. be able to like not everyone's going to understand but at the same time if you can go somewhere for your full-time job and enjoy it and feel fulfilled at the end of the day it's like that's that's what it's about and totally agree to me it's it's a shame in some ways that it doesn't seem like a lot of these careers are exposed to people in general. Cause it's like, you've got people in high school, people, middle school, all that stuff. It's like, what do you want to do? It's like, we've got astronaut, we've got firefighter, we've got doctor, lawyer, whatever. And even if, even if we do say, okay, like someone says, Oh, I think I'd like to get into building, but it's like, there's so many jobs out there and it's not even with just within the trades, but just like you said, it's cat. Like how, how many kids know about cat? It's like, and be able to say, Hey, like it's you're not just an IT guy where you're working on your computer, but it's you're actually doing the drawings for specific units that yeah. are going to go into places, and it's going to come down to eighths of an inch, right? For us at least, and for other people, it's going to come down to I don't even know how small they're going to go if you're getting into engineering, but it's just like if you can nerd out on that, if that's your jam, and maybe that's not your hobby, maybe that's not like the absolute pinnacle of what you would love to do, but if you can find fulfillment, oh yeah that's that's the good stuff right there in my oh, mind yeah. just because i i couldn't believe how much i just loved construction i was oh, like yeah. this is weird like <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have dreams to do other things yeah but it's like that's how it works man that's it 
right, so I did want to kind of talk to you. Uh, one of the things that always fascinates me is the 2008, 2007, 2008, and kind of what happened after that. For me, okay. I always tell people that it was like I was alive during that time, but I was probably, I never even did the math, but it's like between probably 10 and 14 is when all that stuff went down and kind of all the fallout was happening. Yeah. So um, I was very blessed that my parents just kind of, it's whatever was happening around them, they, they took care of us and it's, we never, they made sure that our family was taken care of. So for me, it was never like this big, like, Hey, what's going on where we're losing a house. We were able to keep all of that. So looking back though, I'm like, that happened in my lifetime. I always want to know, Hey, like, tell me about your experience with it, especially like in the business, because, um, I've heard this as far as when you guys were with a previous, uh, company, like things got tight and that changed mm-hmm. the dynamic of things. But at the same time, it's kind of with the posturing of the industry, of the industry that you guys were in it made a different dynamic so i'd love to kind of hear what you guys went through with all of that and kind of coming out of it and what you've seen since then yeah good question um you know i've thought about it because um it is interesting to look back um at that time you know the best way i think to summarize that in a positive way is when things like that happen when you're forced to sink or swim you have to swim and the people that sink unfortunately that was their choice it was their choice to give up and to quit and to do whatever so the downturn forced you to make that decision you're either going to fight through this with the company that you're at right now which was a previous employer or you're going to just fail you're going to leave or you'll you'll move on and do something else and um, what happens is people that are like-minded with that um, you know that 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 nature within you to fight through it. You almost just attract each other. So it's it's interesting. Pre, prior to the recession, the relationships that I have with Karen and Paul French definitely were polar opposite. Polar opposite. We did not get along nearly as well. I mean, Paul French and I, we borderline just we did not like each other. I won't say hate because that's a strong word, but. <laughs> We disagreed a lot about a lot of things. However, the recession forced us to fight. And what we realized was we're both, our dislike for each other was we're both competitive. So it was, uh, as he called me at one time, Dennis Rodman. I was like the Dennis Rodman to him because I was just (laughs) the sales guy out running around and just, I just kind of showed up to practice every now and again. And yeah, I took a few shots and maybe I uh, did this or that, but he just felt like he was the Scotty Pippen or, or whatever, right? He was like, I, you're just disrespecting. And who is MJ? And <laughs> that would have been our, our boss at the time, right? He was, he was the Jordan maybe. I don't know. But, but the point, I guess, being that I think during the downturn, the most impactful thing that happened was relationships were galvanized. It wasn't just friendships or coworkers. It was, shoot, we are in some crap. We have got to get out of this. And I can't do it alone. We got to do it together. And that bolstering of each other and lifting each other up and trusting each other, it was a big deal. And then you come out of it and you're left standing and you look around and that's our team, right? I mean, that's part of the core over at Elevation now is our relationships with Dave and Karen and Daniel. Um, they got so 
so strong and galvanized so that once we got out of the recession and we carried on with that company we were really a force to be reckoned with and that's really when the growth of me and Paul's um, venture started and that's when we started talking about do we take this on the road and do our own thing or do we try to succeed the, the you know this existing employer which we made offers to do and and that just it didn't it didn't didn't come to fruition which is probably the right thing and then we we jumped off and started elevation so the downturn taught us to taught me how to just kind of fight through things and that it's okay to lean on other people because uh, I'm I'm really hard to just drop things off on somebody else it's really right. hard for me to do I yeah. can't do it um, so I struggle with that because I'll I'll end up you know, taking on way too much just because I don't want to burden somebody else with that stuff. So it's interesting that there's other people out there that actually feel that way too. I would I'd isolate myself and, and uh, uh, think that I'm just in this alone, but you push stuff off on some other people and you see that they're like, that's okay, I got it, I got it. I'm like, I'm not used to that. I'm just... Right, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, I think that's what I learned from the downturn. Would you learn, if I were to say like practically, if you're doing, you're doing sales, CAD... Um, were you pretty much primarily sales at that time? At that time I was in sales. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I feel like the conversation changes a yep. little bit as far as, Hey, um, the economy's taking a dump. Yep. And so now you're stepping in front of someone. And like we said earlier, you've got window and door packages where we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's, it's no longer, Hey, the economy's great. Things are mm -hmm. booming. Like I want to build a house and show me the ridiculous stuff. Right. How did that conversation change? Um, the f probably the first time I really heard these two words that are so severely overused now, but at that time it made sense. And those two words are value engineering. Those words I never heard prior to the recession. Value engineering. Value engineering. So let's take this project and we're going to reassess the value. We're going to find a better way to get the numbers to work, right? So. The windows that I really want are $100,000, but the windows I can afford are $40,000. So how do I make this $40,000 package look like it's $100,000 worth of windows? Right. So you insert the recipes of taking different manufacturers and you blend house packages. Where it was previously committed to one manufacturer, as you know, that just rarely happens to this day. Right. Oftentimes, a lot of the houses we're on, we have multiple manufacturers that fulfill certain openings. Prior to the downturn, it was uh, it was like an all all or nothing kind of deal. So one manufacturer fulfilled the whole house. So that happened in sales a lot. So your 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 spears had to get honed a little bit sharper. You had to get a little bit more um, resilient. And you worked harder to make a sell because it wasn't just quoted once. You're quoting it multiple different ways and you're looking at it. You're studying each location and you're trying to talk through an expectation with a client. And at the end of the day, they want a $100,000 window package but only want to pay forty grand. Right. I got to make it look good. So. Yeah. 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 So with that, were there a lot of exclusivity clauses from the manufacturers themselves that said, hey... If you're gonna do a house package, we want it to all be fill in the blank of right. whoever your manufacturer is. Yeah, I would say definitely pre-recession, and, and, and whether they were in writing or just gentleman agreements. Gotcha. It was 
always felt that you were not being uh, loyal if you were doing that. However, what I think everybody, including the manufacturers, forgot is there's a customer here that's right. paying. And so that got lost. And I think when we started Elevation, one of the first things in our mission statement, Paul and I talked about is to create a Nordstrom's for windows and doors. Create a place where people can come to a nice enough showroom. They can find a lot of different products. Like you can, you go into Nordstrom's, you can find really expensive things, you can find affordable things. And heck, just like Nordstrom's, we have a clearance rack too. Right. We yeah. Got, <laughs> we got a boneyard. We got a bunch of stuff out in the back you can come by. Um, but um, but no, truthfully, it's it, it became more of a mission to to open up more lines and to tell the factories you're you're almost landlocking a homeowner to f- to only buy your product. You're doing a disservice to them because right. you're taking their money. Yep. And that's not fair. So. Which it seems like in the end it comes down to it's what are you trying to do? It's you're trying to help the end consu- end consumer. You're okay. trying to help right. your builders, and it's to me it's one of the funny things is that when business starts with helping people, people respond, customers respond to that. Right. It's right. like we look at here in Arizona, it's Dutch Bros. Everyone hates how friendly they are, but everyone knows them for how friendly they are. Yeah, because right. they try to be as authentic as they can about the people. Right. And it's like when you apply that to any other business model, it makes sense. That's right. But when you start having manufacturers where it's like, hey, we're going to do an exclusive, let's start doing exclusivity because on the back end, it should make us more money. It's like, now we became about the money. Right. So it's, and obviously within business, it's like dollars and cents have to be there because That's payroll right. has to be there because a million other things have to be there at the same time. But it's, if it doesn't start with the relationship and that's even to the relationship of the people around you, it's, it gets a little tight. It does. And that's why, honestly, uh, Paul French and I, when we early, early on, I I don't want to really get involved in any of the numbers, the dollars and stuff, because he and I both know that, um, the way I'm wired is, is that way. I want to help people. I want to go out and I want to listen and I want to help value engineer their house if I need to. And, and that comes with dollars and cents. Right. So Paul French will run the dollars and cents. So he's always looking at it from an accounting and a business prolonging standpoint. How do we maintain a healthy bank account so that we can make payroll and that we can pay our our rent and all the stuff that we need to pay for? Um, and I'm looking at it as how can we do good business so we maintain our, our reputation. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a dance and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but you know, we feel, we feel like at least it's authentic. And yeah. And I think yeah. it's a good tug. Like just from my observation of watching you guys is that it's, it's, there's the pull. It's like, and at other times it's one guy has to kind of say, Hey, I, I've got to kind of put my feet like put my feet down here and say, hey, I'm, we can't move any more on this one, and right. it it checks itself. And That's right. to me, it's one of the things as far as a lot of people talk about. Hey, don't get into business with someone else because it's people who get into business they do have egos. That's right. It's because you you have the confidence to say, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm gonna put this thing on my back. Like I want to be the point of the spear. Right. So when you get two of those people, a lot of times it doesn't work. But for you guys, it seems that you understand very much the way your relationship works the and then you respect each other like yeah. you said as far as it's you are gal 
you guys galvanize together and I'm pretty sure it's even more so with starting elevation mm. it's you have that respect and it's been working it's a marriage for sure man I mean business is definitely that and in any relationship period um, friendship relationship marriage whatever it doesn't matter I think um, communication is the key and you definitely have to respect each other you definitely have to so regardless of if I agree with the person in that relationship it's the respect so their opinion is theirs and Paul and I we we will discuss things sometimes loudly <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the end I think we always try to walk away and, and look at each other and say look I, I respect you. he may win one I may win one and and tally marks go but it's just that ultimate respect so right yeah all right and then something that you've told me about that I did want to ask you when you guys are starting elevation <laughs> Yeah. Was it called the California Ironman? Mm, yes. Oh, yeah. So California Ironmans, let's see. Uh, so 2016, we had just started our company. Um, and when we left our previous employer, again, a, a failed attempt at trying to do a succession plan, uh, which is kind of the writing was on the wall, so to speak. So we, we left. And when we put in our notice, we had not anticipated um, our previous employer wanting to try to stop us as aggressively as he did so he did and he filed a, a suit against us for a non-compete infraction which was nolan impossible to to uh, to hit us with however you know you can sue somebody for everything these days which right, i didn't yeah. realize i i did not know how easy it was <laughs> to stop a business from starting like that but nonetheless it happened and quite honestly it, it's made us who we are today so i thank him for it because it slowed us down a little bit because we were jumping off and ready to go attack the world and we probably would have ran right through a buzzsaw making a ton of mistakes <laughs> and so it forced us to kind of put a tether on our backs and slow down and we regrouped and we said well if we can't sell right now here in arizona which we can't make any money if we can't sell anything where can we sell and uh, had some contacts in California and reached out and started getting some opportunities in early January once we started and we started making drives and so we first took our drive over to just you know preview what really is out there are there opportunities how do we find them how do we run business from Arizona into California how right. the heck will this work yeah it's nearly impossible right we thought so but we needed to make money so we did and we fought through it we got our first job and when we booked our first job um, we were pot committed now we're stuck now we have to fulfill this job so the Ironmans began and the Ironmans began because we made commitments and like I said early on it's all about relationships and delivering what you say to your best of your ability and there's so many uh, nuances to that there's a factory there's a trucking company there's so many other hands that touch our products through the chain of custody that yep. it's so hard to to commit however what you can control is when you can show up so Paul and I would get up 1:32 in the morning we'd meet out on the west side um, he lives in Chandler I live up in North Phoenix so we called it the rendezvous point and it was off uh, dice art and he would he would pull off and we meet at a fries over there and I'd jump in his car and off we'd go. So it'd be about 2, 2.30 in the morning and we'd head over to LA and we'd get to LA for a nine o'clock meeting, you know, right on time. And people were blown away. They're like, wait, where did you come from? So oh, we came from Phoenix. Oh, did you stay the night here last night? Well, no, we drove. How the heck did you get here at nine o'clock? 
you get up early. You get up early and you get in the car <laughs> and you drive. That's how you get. What do you mean? Come on, this how, is simple. how many people were doing the math in their head like so y- y- yeah. usually like <laughs> tradespeople, okay, you might get up at four, like that means you're a seasons trade vet, but once you start breaking into three <laughs> you're something else and you start rolling back the clock, it's like, all right, are you guys getting a little um white powdery help to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, you know, funny enough, no none of that, but no, there's there's no there's no assistance other than just the the sheer competitive nature, like I said early on, that Paul and I realize we both have. Yeah. And so that is what drove and put the fuel in us. Um, and it was fight or flight. It was it, man. We bet we bet it all. I bet, you know, his wife works and and although um, that income couldn't support his family, you know, it was it was it was something to help. However, my wife does not work, so I'm all in. And if this thing fails, I'm dead. I'm done for. So it was not even an option. So that monster came out, and that's what drove me to just screw it. Let's just go. Let's do it. And uh, thankfully, Paul was uh, he was committed to do it with me because going back to partnership, it could have been a partner with an ego. Said, I'm not going. You go on your own. But we did it together. Right. And um, you know, one of our first trips over, we we split a foot long at Subway, and we shared a cup of water, and just. You're on you're on penny penny budgets, and you couldn't afford to stay in a hotel room. That's why we did the Ironmans because we couldn't afford it. Uh, eventually, you know, we were able to to get there, but you know, the Ironmans happened for the first few months just to just to start putting some money in the bank. How long would you be in Cali and make that return trip? So you're you're up at one thirty, meetings at nine. How long do those meetings last? You've got job site visits, all that good stuff. Yeah, if we were lucky, um, we learned later, but we in the first trip. The first Ironman was, oh, we made a lot of bad decisions. We didn't realize how bad LA traffic was. So we stacked meetings. We had to push a few because they took so long to get to. Like, oh, yeah, we should be able to go from this meeting, spend an hour there, then we go to this next meeting, like you do in Arizona. Yep. Did not take the 405 in effect. And that is a real that is a real struggle over there. So I'm sorry for anyone that has to work in LA. It's tough. Um, but do reconsider if you're going to come to Arizona. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so we we would the first trip. I think we ended up leaving at six p.m. We thought, okay, we got we'll be we'll miss up. We're we're in the midst of kind of the the tail end of rush hour. We'll get home by midnight, twelve thirty, something like that. No, not the case. I mean, when you're in gridlock over there, all the way to Riverside, um, it's just it's tail lights. It's it sucks. It's really not fun. So that first trip, I don't think we got home until 3.30 in the morning. So it was beyond 24-hour day. You're spent. And being in a car that long is also exhausting. Um, fortunately for French, I talk a lot. So I kept them up. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I never got to learn much about Paul because all he would do is just ask me questions about just different little things, whether it was music-related or uh, my third-grade uh, teacher he'd ask me just random questions and just get me talking and and it kept him awake um so so that was kind of our driving thing and we would just talk about business you know we talked a lot about how we were going to structure things so a lot of our business plans were being developed on those road trips uh, a lot of how we were going to make our next moves and and everything were talked because we had so much time in the car together that's awesome yeah so I'm assuming most of them weren't 26-hour Ironmans after that? <laughs> no, that was the first folly. Um, after that, we learned that if we're not out of L.A. by 3 o'clock, we're screwed. So get out of L.A. by 3. 
and then you'll make it home by midnight you know so so you're still pulling like a 22 23 hour day oh yeah yeah i mean there were there were days there were day they were true day a day worth of work uh in my mind um and you know you just had to do it and it wasn't easy on the family it wasn't easy on the body physically you're exhausted mentally you're spent but what are you gonna do you gotta right. do it yeah yeah how much do those days when you're getting kicked in the nuts at the beginning it's how much do you remember that does that is it or even just that feeling stick with you today as far as when you're going out and working because it's whenever I look at people in business it seems to be like they I've started to see a certain pattern with people as far as their the way they do things the way they look at numbers and it's it seems like there's always this cautiousness and even in really good times it's like I'd look around and be like why things are going really well like why why do you seem like there's like some like the world's about to come down and t- to me I this is my guess it comes back to it's basically like it's a pseudo trauma situation where it's like when you're splitting a five dollar foot long for two guys it's that's two dollars and fifty cents for lunch how many people like people when you're taking into that consideration of money I'm assuming that sticks with you yeah I mean it definitely sticks with us and that's that's that helps explain the relationship that some people don't initially see between Paul and I and that goes back to the financial so thankfully my business partner is probably one of the most fiscally conservative people I have ever met I've never met somebody quite like him in that in that region. I told you earlier I'm a coupon guy I'm a guy who likes to, to save money he's not so much that way as far as the coupons because that's a little beneath him tongue-in-cheek right he <laughs> doesn't really like that he doesn't it blows me away he doesn't join any of the rewards program things people always ask for the number and give me your phone number and you can get five dollars off next to he's like no nah, I don't want it I'm like yeah let me have his I'll take his and mine and uh, that's kind of the joke but um, but when it comes to managing finances, he just does a really good job of it. So the early days of getting the kick in the nuts, as you say, um, all it did was multiply. So it's just, it's still there. We're getting kicked in the nuts. It's just, you just have it happening times a hundred. What happens though, is you become callous. So getting kicked in the nuts doesn't hurt as bad. So you learn how to just take it in stride. It's going to happen. It right. continues to happen. And I think every business knows that. So that's prepping for the, the cyclical events that happen, the ebb and flow of business. So if you don't learn how to get kicked in the nuts and keep the smile on while you're getting it, you're going to fail because your customers are going to see that. It's, it's right. a lack of confidence. You have to get the kick in the nuts while the new customers coming in the door and pretend like you didn't just get kicked in the nuts and be like hey how's it going new opportunity clean slate let's start let's start this one right so yeah to me it's always interesting that right now we have so many people on social media youtube whatever it is and entrepreneurship is the thing right now Mm. and it's owning your own business all that stuff and Mm. oh it's gonna be great you're your own boss you set your own hours and it's like me whenever I work if I I've done side jobs for different friends like I've done side jobs for you guys yep. so yep um, it's yeah. like yeah they're like it's nice having a freedom as far as you don't have someone looking over your shoulder being like what are you doing but at the same time it's like that responsibility is there oh, yeah. it's 
understanding the freedoms that you get are not without consequence. And to me, it's like when you have days where it's like you tell someone, okay, yeah, you have freedom of schedule, but when you have to work, you need to work 22, 23 hours in one day and you need to just take it. Yep. You need it to be like when, uh, when you're starting, you're going to have so little money that you are going to have $2 and 50 cents for lunch. Right. It's like, to me, it's when it get for, it gets phrased like that. It's that's when it should be. Do you really want to do this thing? Getting into business, being an entrepreneur, being whatever it is. It's, let, let's not look at all the glam. Let's not look at, I get to manage people. It's, no, it's, you're, you're the point of the spear. So you're going to take the most abuse. You're going to get the bloodiest. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal. That's why they call it work, you know? I mean, if it was fun, they'd call it fun, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think business, running a business definitely surprised me. It, I, I don't think anyone ever knows <clears throat> It's different for everyone, but I don't think everyone, anyone really knows until you do it um, how challenging it can be because, um, to your point, there is a generation out there for sure. It, it happened in my generation too. There was a lot of, it's not only this generation. However, it definitely seems to be the majority now where everybody believes that it's just jump out there and go do my own thing and that's great i think it's fantastic we'll jump out there do my own thing make a ton of money look at me and that second part does not happen it's the statistics are there i mean most small businesses fail near immediate right almost within the first year maybe the second tops right and then you've got your your 25 percent that hung on and made it to year three and those 25 percent you drop off another 10 15 percent right yeah and the ones that make it to five those three percent that made it five years Think about that. 97% of those other businesses, these people that got on social media acting like they had a business and they got this product and I'm, I'm, I'm my own guy, they're out of business within the first few years. And they're licking their wounds and they're doing what? Are they going back to work for somebody or are they going back into the trench again and going, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to restart running the business. And that's why I think employees... Um, you know, some take it for granted that you get to just shut it off. You know, some jobs, not ours, not not when you work at Elevation. You got it. You can never <laughs> shut it off. You're always working. No. Um, Shout out to Jr. for that one. <laughs> yeah, especially. Jr. Daniels, my man, that guy. He is Dave Holy and man, those guys. They pull hours. It's crazy, and it's sometimes it's unseen. It's it's hours that are happening not on company property. So. Yeah. It blows me away, and and Thaddeus, you do it too. And there are days where I'll be at the office, and Thaddeus, you'll get in at six in the morning, and you're gone by the time I get in, and it's six at night, and here come your headlights, and I'm going, what, what? You supposed to be out of here? And um, to this point, I'm not picking on you, but to this point about employees, you have it. You have to deal with employees and their reactions to things so testing Thaddeus has proven to be a very easy thing because you take things with stride testing other employees it doesn't always react it doesn't always go that way some employees after after their eight hours they are gone yep. that's it mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you another ounce 
and that's okay. Even with the incentive of overtime. Right, even an incentive of overtime. Some of them just are done. And you know what, that's their prerogative. They have a different priority. And that gets lost a lot in business. I think a lot of business owners disrespect the side of an employee. They don't remember what it's like to be an employee. They don't remember yep. what it's like to, I, I don't have to carry this torch. This is your torch. I'm helping you carry it. Yep. This is your dream though. So I'm here to help you, but don't abuse me. Don't right. take advantage of me. And and I, and I think that that's the culture that we're really hoping to create at Elevation is that everybody feels like they're part of a family. We're all looking out for each other. Say that as many times as we can because it's just so important that um, everybody spends a majority of their time waking hours at work, just statistically, right? That's just how it is. So if you have to go to work, can the employer make that, uh, you know, that situation digestible, enjoyable? The work is the work. Some days it sucks. A lot of days it sucks. Um, but as an employer, that's the stress. People don't realize. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go out and start my own business. Do you really know what it's like to create a culture for employees that you're going to bring on? And how do you lower your ego to see that that employee is doing this for you? And, and that's where I think a lot of small businesses fail. You see all these pop-ups and these guys think that they're going to just strike gold. But the employees behind the counter aren't happy. They're working the long hours and they're... They're turning over. You go back into that same shop, you know, and it's a new employee behind the counter. As a business owner, I'm just like, man, turnover will kill you. It will. Unless you're in some type of a retail or maybe a restaurant industry where you can handle it. But in our if, business... If it's an industry where you can train someone within a day, an right. hour, whatever exactly. it is, as far as it's like, hey, your job is to stand here. Your job is to flip this. Your job That's is to right. stand here. Your job is to fold this compared to it's, hey, we're going to be doing takeoffs of a 10,000 square foot property. Yep. And you need to be able to understand the difference between thicknesses between, hey, if we have a pocket door, how does that affect? Now I need to go talk to my framer. That's right. It's you, you can't just walk up to a guy and say, hey, we've got a uh, pocket multi-slide going right here because most people don't even know what that is. Yeah, that's right. And then tell them, uh, I need you to measure it. Yeah, that's right. And if you want to know what a pocket multi-slide is, go to our Instagram page and you'll see a few pocket multi-slides there that Thaddeus is referring to. But yeah, he's right. Uh, it's all it's all that. And that's what makes the company that we picked starting Elevation, you know, we, we makes it hard. It's our passion. Paul and I, we love it. And so everybody that's here with us now, you see it in their eyes. I mean, um, they enjoy at least to a small degree what we're doing otherwise they'd be gone they wouldn't they wouldn't be with us anymore so um yeah it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning with the fulfillment it's being That's able to right. find that it's and for each person's like for you and Paul it's hey this is this is competition as well so this is mm -hmm. this is the thing that gets the adrenaline going That's right and for other people it's like hey i I find fulfillment in my eight hours that I'm there, mm -hmm. but then it's being able to come home to the wife and kids. That's right. It's being able to be there for the soccer games or be able to say, hey, you know what? I, I want to be able to see my friends, right. uh, to be able to socialize, but it's at the same time, be able to provide that fulfillment on different levels for the different people you have there. That's right. Yep. So I wanted to talk to you kind of more about the nitty gritty just because it's, we mm. talked about if you've got a multi-slide pocket door and we're probably going to get into some terminology that 
which I'm fine with as far as that some people might not understand. So we can try and explain it, but at the same time, it like you like we said earlier, it's we kind of nerd out on this stuff. So, but as far as when you go out to a job, you mentioned with sales earlier that it's you're you try and hang back with it, but I this is my hunch. I feel like you underplay what you do quite a bit because there's a lot of money on the table. So it's when you go out, I want to talk about two things. When you're talking to a customer, mm-hmm. what does the sales look like for if I'm Thaddeus, hey, Paul, I've got a 10,000 square foot house. We're getting some drawings on. Can we talk about the windows and doors? Like, mm-hmm. what is your process going through with them? And then I know for some of the builders, they say, hey, here's our, all our openings. Uh, here We're looking for this product specifically. Um, we need to do takeoffs. I'd love to know kind of what each of those looks like just because I know I see you in the office. You're getting buried by communications all day from different people trying to get your attention. And then at the same time, I know you're out in the field doing takeoffs and stuff like that, but I haven't been able to see that. So I'd love to kind of hear exactly how you describe what you do. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, so my son started working for us uh, over the summer. Yep. And the only reason I bring him up, shout out to Dalton Noble. Um, I hope you're up. (laughs) Um, But when he came in, um, just the only reason I bring him up is because he grew up watching me go off to work. And I don't think anyone ever really knows what it is I do. Um, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family, they sell windows and doors. They just don't get it. And until you're in the boiler room, until you're in the, the, you know, the, 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 the cut room and you see what's really going on behind the scenes, it's hard to explain. So my son, yep. he came on. He's like, so dad, what do you do? And my joke to him was, I play Minesweeper all day, which is an old <laughs> video game that used to play on the computers back when I was a kid. He says, what? I said, yeah, I'm up to level 45 today. I said, get out of here. And I would just downplay everything that I do because I didn't want him to be, uh, it's overwhelming. It really is. Um, I don't want him to th- get scared off. And also, I also don't want it. I didn't want at that time, I didn't want him talking too much to me. I wanted him to build relationships with people there and don't come to me with any question, you know, and uh, go to somebody else, go to, go to some of your, 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 your coworkers, go to your manager, go to other, don't come to me. So, um, but what I do, I feel, um, to going back to, to what it is I feel I do. I, if a cut, if a builder calls me and says, I got a 10,000 square foot house, can you come over and give me a price? The first thing I, I think is, do I want to, do I want to work with this customer? Um, I know that sounds snobbish and that sounds off-putting. However, I'm going all the way back to what I said in the beginning. It's all about relationships. Right, because we've known people who, or we've heard about people, uh, I'm thinking of Brett, the builder of the Olson residence. Sure. He had a crazy story about a customer he used to work with. Right. Did you hear his, where the guy allegedly stole a whole bunch of stuff and that's, how his income was made. Yep. So, yeah. And and so those relationships, when you start meeting somebody, uh, you know, again, it goes back to, I don't want to sell windows and doors. I want to build relationships and, you know, we happen to sell windows and doors. So if you want those, great. We have them and we know a lot about them. We know a ton about windows and doors. However, business, clean business is all relationship based. Um, 
So I can't sell every package to everyone. So somebody calls me, he's got a 10,000 square foot house, I'll slow it down a little bit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before we give you a price on this, talk to me. And some of my questions um, to that builder um, are intentionally asked because I want to see how they respond to certain things. Yep. And if they respond in a way that's alarming or throws up a red flag, we will, we will slow down the quoting process or we'll price it accordingly, AKA, We'll try to push that one away because we don't want to be involved in projects where um, timelines are going to be unmet, uh, you know, expectations are going to be unfulfilled. There's, there's, there's just a lot of things that happen in these projects that if you can find out about them early enough on, you can keep the business clean. It's not always perfect, but that's kind of my job. My job is to kind of vet through and sift through these relationships, these introductions, and just try to read people. And I try to remain intuitive is this good business for us or is it bad? Can we pull off this job or can we not? Sometimes we take take off, we bite off more than we can chew. That's happened when we lick our wounds and we've moved on, but we learn. So then the next job is like, okay, if somebody comes in and asks for that product, we probably don't want to sell it. So let's just stop selling that product or let's stop saying yes to that job because right. um, they'll keep coming back. So that's really what I think to quickly summarize, I just vet people. I just talk to people, make a relationship, and I vet them out. And um, the knowledge of windows and doors just comes now because I reached a point um, after so many years of fully understanding the industry. I'm learning every single day. Um, I would never say I'm the smartest guy in the room. As a matter of fact, I'd say if I am the smartest guy in the room, I'm going to change rooms because I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to keep learning. And that I feel helps build our reputation because we know what we're talking about. We have the sources, we've got the products, and so the rest of it's pretty basic. Um, the big houses, um, again, it's just commas moving. These people are just like the homeowner that wants to buy the $3,000 window package. They're no different to me. They, they're not even, they're just as demanding, and they're all owed. Uh, we are responsible for delivering that expectation, whether it's giving them three vinyl windows, or 300 steel windows, you know, or bronze windows or something crazy. It's, it's the same, but it's that experience that that person goes through with our company that will either make or break us. So if the experience, like a theme park, if you go to a, you pay for the admission to a theme park and you go in and all the rides are broken or you get really sick and you have a really bad experience, you're probably never gonna go to that theme park ever again. And that's kind of what we're, we're, we're like. It'll never come back to elevation again if the experience uh, left a bad taste in your mouth. So I feel like that's what I do. A lot of conflict resolution, a lot of negotiating, a lot of communicating. Um, uh, I try to remain a cheerleader and be enthusiastic up front. Um, <laughs> and then also on the back end to try to motivate to finish out jobs. So it's a, it's a engine caboose situation. So, and you said you brought up JR and, and you said Dave and TK, Thaddeus and Joe and Londell and, and Mav, those, that's the back end, that's the caboose of the company pulling up with the ESI boys and, and we have to make sure all of those guys are taken care of. It's not just about the office, not just about the sales guys. That's the easy kill. So John Stevenson who does sales with us and Rob Holland, they can go out and kill all day long. but. The meat goes bad if you don't cook it and clean it, and there's other things that have to happen to process yep. it. So mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm 
trying to create and trying to do is just build good business path up front, stay all the way up at the tip of the spear and throw these things over my shoulder back to the team to say, okay, this is a good one. Let's take this one. Let's take this one. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right. So yeah, that's it. When you're, when you're specifically doing sales, what would be your philosophy with it? Which I think you've mostly mentioned it already, but as far as then, how would you look at be able to train that into somebody because everyone stereotypically thinks sales as the car salesman who he's going to pull the the senior car salesman pulls the hey watch this to the junior salesman yep. walks up to some middle-aged dope sells them some car that he can't afford but hey I got the commission so it's and obviously like you said you're not about that we both hate that yeah it's so how do you take your philosophy and then apply it to, hey, I've got someone who, who's going to be coming into the Elevation family and say, this is how we do sales? That's a good question. You know, John Stevenson, who's worked with us for coming up on two years, um, uh, a few months, he, he uh, definitely has shown how you can buy into this program and the program is is the sales process from a new person to come into elevation is totally different it is not sales it's not that at all and john knew that and john wasn't that john is a freaking nerd man the guy loves windows and doors the like m- absolute he knows so many details about windows and doors if you wanted to nerd out, it could make your head spin. He, you put him, me, in a room together, and we sit down. And we talk about windows, and you will blow. You will want to leave. It is the most annoyingly obnoxious thing ever because we can nerd out all day, which is why I love the dude. And so the minute we started talking, I'm like, I, you're a sales guy. You're not a sales guy, but you're a sales guy the way Elevation sees sales because right, yeah. you know what you know and you're a good guy he's a good guy and he can communicate and he's empathetic yeah. and that's what sales people oftentimes lack is empathy they have zero regard for their customer which is bullcrap yeah. and that's just why they have a bad connotation and sadly real estate agents unfortunately have that same opinion right cast it about them car salesmen cast it about them um, anyone who's in a sales position is always going to have that um, and because it, it's oftentimes true, you get these people that just all they want to do is sell the next car, sell the next house, and it's move commission, on. Commission, 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 commission. Right? You can't blame them because that's how they, that's how they put food on the table for their family. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's not really their fault, but at the same time, if they lack empathy, you're missing out what life's about. Yeah. And you know, religion aside, spiritually or just living here on life on Earth, like. Life isn't about just making money. It's about meeting people through experiences, building relationships, creating creating a little small legacy of yourself so that when you're lower down on the ground, people don't piss on your grave, right? It's yeah. just be a good freaking human being. Well, and, and even practically as far as it's, I've seen it several times and even recently where um, the sale, other salesman, John Stevenson, we've seen it. Uh, he had a job that it's it's been a little rough recently and that dude's in sales, but that dude's out there helping installers. He's out there helping me and the service guys. Like it's, I love how 
in elevation, the idea of sales does not stop at, I did my sale, now guys, what are you doing? Correct. It's like you said, it's the empathy for the customer as far as like, hey, I was the one who talked to them. That's right. I was the face man, so right. I take responsibility. And like to me, it's I have a huge respect for John just because he goes out there and does that. I have, like I have a respect for you because you go out there and do that. It's and it's not that oh hey we can lean on our sales guys. It's we feel like crap when that happens because it means that oh, somewhere along the line something went went bad. Whether that's it was our bad as a company or if it was someone else, whatever whatever it was. But at the same time, it's is taking that responsibility. That then comes full circle to, it's instead of, oh, commission, they got their commission, they left. It's now the customer will see that. Right. And the customer will be back because right. he knows relationships. And he he knows that as far as, let's say one, two, three windows and doors shows up and says, hey, I'll give you a 2% discount on whatever elevation says it's, but I've got a relationship with them. Right. But it's, they're gonna do more than take my money. They're gonna make sure that I'm taken care of. Snake oil salesmen are in every industry, and they're going to always come to cut our th- legs out from under us. Your two percent comment there from the one, two, three windows—it's—it's it's what has to separate us from the pack. So, again, especially in the luxury market, hundred percent. And again, that goes back to you asked about sell strategy. So, I keep saying that we don't sell. Of course, we sell. Of course, we do. But what I'm getting at is, it's a mindset. If you go into a fight. You're going to fight somebody. You can't go into that fight with the utmost arrogance and confidence. We've watched it too many times. These guys get their their butts handed to them because they went in, they thought they were going to knock this dude out in one round. They get clocked. Same thing in business. Same thing in sales. You can't go in and be like, I'm going to sell this one. Your shoulder's back. You're not. All I got to do is knock off 2%. I'm going to get this thing. We're all laughing at that guy because... The relationship will persevere, and it won't matter. John Stevenson, (laughs) he used to troll a builder of mine, and I say that respectfully because he really wanted to do business with one of my builders. And he can tell you that no matter how many times he called him, no matter how many discounts, no matter how much he tried to poach this builder of mine, they laughed. They said, you can waste your time bidding it, but we buy from Paul. That's it. Plain and simple. And <laughs> they would tell me about it. I'm like, this dude keeps creeping on my job sites. We have a job right now that we've booked. Was that when he was with Elevation or before? No, 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 before. Before. And that's another reason why I actually enjoyed him. Um, like it's kind of creepy, dude. But at the same time, he's a fighter. He's a go-getter. He's, he's got com- that competitive drive. Competitive drive. Bingo. Right? Back to that again. And um, it's okay to be competitive, but... You have to know when to hit and know when to block. And there's a big difference between the two. It's a totally different mechanic. And um, and you have to stay resilient. And he has proven time and time again to be that. So um, that's that's the Elevation Sales University um, tactic. And that John Stevenson's on the, on the back end of it. He's killing it. And he's doing great. And um, teaming him up, it's another thing we do with sales is we try to put a team around them to help bolster up their opportunities um, by taking away things that salespeople are not good at. And oftentimes that's paperwork. Um, that's costing things or sitting down and taking off a job or estimating. It's just a lot of time that's spent away from sales opportunities. So we realize that early on and try to maximize everyone's strengths. Yeah. So this year, 
you guys acquired a install crew. Yes. So now everything is in-house from when you guys are doing sales, takeoffs, contracts, CAD, delivery. Now we have install, service, and finalization on the back end. Right. What is the goal now for 10, 20 years from now as far as when you look forward? I know that when we've talked before, it's like you've got dreams for where Elevation is going. And to me, it's I love hearing people's dreams and where they want to project for the future. And obviously, not everything works out, but it's if you're hard charging in a direction, things move usually. So it's when, when, when you look ahead, where do you want to hard charge? We are always hard charging to, and it hasn't changed. Um, you know, I was just speaking to Paul French when I was pulling up here about stuff. And you know we're we're focused on um, on taking this taking this on the road, right? I mean we're already doing it in California to a small degree. We're not doing the install there. Um, we're doing it in Las Vegas now with Rob and our showroom. Once it's complete, COVID kind of set that back, but once that showroom's done, that'll be another hub. Obviously Arizona works because it is what it is where we're testing prior was Flagstaff, Sedona, Prescott, Tucson. So if we can reach those markets and fulfill them with installation, why couldn't we fulfill these things on the road, right? We'll take it even further. However, un until the 20-year 20 20 plan would be yes, we could self-perform, deliver. There's companies out there that are doing this. There's a big company uh, out of Utah called USI, and they're a monster, monster. They're fully diversified. They not only do windows and doors, they do insulation, they do, um, I want to say framing, and maybe even plumbing fixtures, and they just, they just become a whole, a whole package. To me, it's a whole distraction, right? It's not a whole package, it's a total distraction. So if we can take that, but micro-focus on just windows and doors, I think people will receive us more open-armed because we're not coming in to steal from other trades. I just want to focus on my trade. Yeah. I feel like when companies diversify like that, they end up cutting the throats of others, and that's just bad business. So where I see ourselves in the next few years is remaining micro-focused on windows and doors. The installation component just gives us control for the quality and that experience and that process. Because oftentimes when we've subbed out install or an installation group has put in the windows and doors, that has affected um, the net result and even self-performing as we've experienced over the first few months it is not easy and we're not perfect we've made mistakes and fixing them is tough really really tough on the install side so um, it's not for the faint of heart it's going to take a lot of work it's nowhere near perfect however two years three years from now it'll be a well-oiled machine we believe and then taking that with the license that we have in Las Vegas up to Nevada to create a similar situation is definitely in, in, the, in, the, in the motion and then going to California. And then beyond that, we'll see Texas far away, Colorado, Utah, other states that aren't far um, where the markets are strong and that respect the window industry to, to the level that what we do. So that's kind of the 5, 10, 20 year goal would be to just be good stewards of our industry a place that has a reputation of if you want to go get the Nordstrom level um, 
of products, they've got a lot of different options. So they value engineer your projects. They can come in and work with you on the CAD drawings. They can work with the energy values. We can work with lead times. All of the aesthetics, all the finishes, all of that stuff. You can kind of build different uh, showrooms, you know, these little brick and mortar showrooms in different places. You just got to man them. Now you got to man them with non sales people. Right that nerd out on windows and doors and that's the brand the brand is window nerds is is staffing up with people that love windows and doors and you can build a brick and mortar somewhere and fulfill orders by using our our corporate hub in scottsdale let's just say to fulfill orders, you know and acknowledgements and all that stuff that come through and then the delivery process gets a little tricky as you guys know with with taking stuff to california or stuff up to las vegas but that'll that'll just improve you know there's there's opportunities um for different drop spots. And um, prior to being silly and creating nexus in other states by getting drop spots, um, we wanna just test the markets first. So, you know, our nexus in, in, in Nevada was a choice, it was a coin flip. Do we go to Nevada and focus on Las Vegas or do we do brick and mortar in LA? We had a big following in LA at the time. We really didn't have a lot going in Las Vegas. However, taxes and just the cost of an employee in California versus Las Vegas, quite honestly, it was a no-brainer. It was just so much R so much more ROI in Las Vegas than in California. So, but the future will justify that an ROI in California is 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 there, just not now. So that's the long-term plans. Nice. Yeah. All right, to kind of bring this thing to a close, I've got a couple rapid questions oh for boy. you. Oh uh, boy. What's been the most impactful thing that you've learned? Uh, oh man, uh, patience. I have a tendency to react. I'm a reactionary person. Um, so got to be more stoic like my business partner. He tends to hear things and he doesn't react. Um, so I think one of the most impactful things I've tried to learn, continue to learn is patience. What's your favorite movie? Oh, I saw that question. Um, it's a tough one. I would say there's there's multiple answers for this, but I'd say my favorite all-time movie, if it's, if it's ever on and I have to stop, it's either The Goonies or Karate Kid. <laughs> <laughs> or there's a movie called Rad that I cannot stop watching. It's an incredible movie. you got to watch it. Cinematography is terrible. It's bad writing. It's about a BMXer. It's a great movie. Fantastic. Uh, your first character strength that comes to mind? Oh, uh, uh, I try to be approachable. Um, I try to be um, my character strength. I feel like I try to try to. People will mock me, be, <laughs> make fun of me. I should say because I tend to change the way I talk. Um, you'll know what you you know what I mean if you know me. But um, when I'm talking to somebody, I tend to emulate their communication style, and that's not to mock them. It's to I feel like to 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 communicate on their level to communicate on their style to talk to them how they talk because they're going to feel more open so i feel like that's something that, that i do a lot of what's the best football team no question in my mind that the seattle oh just kidding arizona cardinals <laughs> I was all the way say, man. i'm gonna scrap this yeah no. arizona oh, cardinals all the way man we got one heck of a quarterback and yeah great team great great team great franchise uh are there any books you read or listen to currently no, I have no time. Um, no, but I'm a big I'm a big reader of. Um, there's a guy, Sad Guru. He's a motivational um, 
just my wife and I, we listen to this guy a lot. He's just sad guru. I'd look him up. Very motivating guy. All right. What's the best place for people to follow what you and Elevation are working on? We mentioned the Instagram for Elevation quite a bit. So Instagram's a great spot to go. We have a Facebook page. Those are probably the two most active hubs in social media. Our website is not static. Um, it's there, but it's not as, as fluid. So we're posting on Instagram and Facebook at least once a week. Um, so, yeah. All right. And that's uh, Elevation underscore Elevation 2016? Window. Uh, no, it should just be Instagram forward slash elevation window. I think okay. I grab that one. And same, same for facebook.com forward slash elevation window. Awesome. Yep. All right. Well, that's all we have for today. And before we leave, if you enjoyed the episode, I would appreciate if you subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast. And until next time, I hope your hammer stays accurate, your Wi-Fi fast, and your work blessed. See you, everybody.